the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Michelle Renee and her seven-year-old daughter were kidnapped and forced to rob a bank with dynamite strapped to their chest. In her first book, Turn Lifetime Movie, Held Hostage, Michelle shared the true crime story of her kidnapping. She joins us today to discuss how she confronted her dark, turbulent past to forge ahead and defy all odds. Michelle is the author of the new book, Nine Days, Living with My Soul Wide Open After Violent Trauma. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Michelle, for those who may not know your story, because it really is a remarkable story, can you share a little bit with us about your kidnapping and what it was that you experienced? We were home and it was early evening. I was getting ready for dinner and three masked gunmen broke down the door to our home. And I found out later they'd been stalking us for approximately two months and had followed me from where I worked, which I was the assistant VP and branch manager for Bank of America. And uh, they broke down the door to my home and kidnapped us and held us hostage at gunpoint and strapped us with what they told us was dynamite and took my daughter from me in the morning and said, if you don't go do absolutely everything that we tell you to do and rob the bank, then you will be murdered and your daughter will be murdered and she will be first. And I then was taken to the bank again at gunpoint and cleaned the vault out and made sure that they got everything that they wanted. And once that was over and I ended up making my way back to the house to, you know, thank God, find my daughter still alive and duct taped in in a closet, we then ended up running to the neighbors and getting calling for help once you did what they asked of you they released you they let you go they did they did and so then you were able to get home and what happened when the police arrived was there ever a time when they suspected you being part of it they did i didn't know it at the time you know when you're in this you know such a state of shock and trauma and you are already in the darkest throes of PTSD and you're in such a state of, of fear, um, it, that is the last thing that sort of crossed my mind anyway, um, that that would even be a possibility. But it soon came to light that I was a suspect, according to the FBI. They had to do their job and make sure that it wasn't an inside job. Um, but in their doing their job and the way in which they went about doing their job was even further traumatizing for not only myself, but for my daughter. They immediately showed up at the neighbor's house where we had run to go use the phone and call for help. They immediately separated us again after what we had just been through and being separated. And that was just a further traumatization for us. And the criminal trial was just really, really horrific. Um, but prior to the criminal trial, there was a lot going on with the investigation. There was a lot going on with who these people were. Um, 
and what was going on within the gang that they were affiliated with that really led the FBI to tell us that we should probably get out of Dodge and change our names. And that's when the idea of where do we go um, from here, where do, where do we go and wait until the criminal trial happens, and that's when Alaska came to mind. So not only were you traumatized by being kidnapped, and then you're traumatized throughout the process of finding the real kidnappers, and then your life gets uprooted because you're told you're no longer safe. What happened when you just mentioned Alaska? What happened in Alaska, and how did that save you? Well, Alaska, for me, ended up being the biggest surprise of of all, really, in terms of the healing process, because when we were trying to figure out where to go, at the time, my daughter's grandmother, her paternal grandmother, lived in Alaska, and I just called her and said, can I at least bring Bria there and get her to safety, and then I'll come back and figure out what to do. I just, I wanted to make sure that she was going to be someplace, you know, safe and loving and, and get her there quickly and get her out of all of this get her away from everything as soon as possible. And then I would have to come back and figure out everything else to do. So I ended up doing that. I flew up there with her, was getting her settled. And while I was there, it I ended up really getting this call to come back and give everything away and drive to Alaska by myself. And when I received this sort of inner call, whatever you want to you know label that, I was trekking across the Matanuska Glacier. I don't know if any of your listeners out there have ever been up to Alaska, but if you get the chance and you go to Matanuska Glacier, it's absolutely spectacular. And as I was sort of trekking on this on this glacier and really sort of for the first time I was able to be in a place where I could hear any sort of of, of voice or calling, even my own inner voice at that time, Um, And it was really calling me to just leave everything behind and go back to Alaska and be there. So that's what I did. I ended up getting on a plane, coming back, giving all of my stuff away and hitting the road in my very old car that I wasn't sure was going to make it. And what ended up happening on that road trip back to Alaska, which is really what Nine Days is all about, And the book really chronicles not just my journey, you know, those days on the road by myself, but what happened in the transformative nature of that trip and the transformative nature of being in nature and being alone with your thoughts and being, you know, wide open and having this freedom that I felt for the first time in so many years to confront you know, not only everything I was feeling about the kidnapping, but my childhood and so much more really is what Nine Days is all about. And by the time I reached Alaska and ended up living up there for an entire year, the healing was really remarkable. And it led me to begin to wonder about who these people were who did this to us and what happened to them to get them to the point where they felt doing something like this to a mother and her child was their only options. So Mm -hmm. it was really quite a remarkable journey. Well, your story is really an extreme of trauma of of what we go through, because it wasn't just your own. You had these outside forces at play as well. But when we get in any type of a situation, whatever type of challenging situation we're going through, a lot of times we ask questions like, why me? What did I do? Did you ever go down that road, you know, right after it happened? Absolutely. I I believe that that's a very normal response to a traumatic event when we are, you know, when we're in such upheaval, our entire life is in complete upheaval. It wasn't just my personal life and my home, but I lost my career. And I, I just, I really just didn't know. I had this, you know, existential crisis where I just didn't know who I was, what was my life going to become, why me was certainly a part of the early stages of the trauma and the trauma response. And so for me, the the question was, how long am I going to allow myself to stay stuck there and continue to what I call stay in the why me trap? Because when we continue to ask ourselves that question and we really stay 
you know, hyper focused on why me, why me, we really, we really kind of ensnare ourselves in this trap that just keeps us from being able to see what the possibilities are coming out of a traumatic situation or a challenging situation, because there's always going to be, in my opinion, opportunities coming out of something like this, whether it's an opportunity to grow, whether it's an opportunity to become a better mother, whether it's an opportunity to become more grateful for life and the things that we have, whether it's, you know, going, okay, I'm now going to live my life in a, in a, in a new way that I have this second chance. I'm going to be more curious. I'm going to travel more. I'm going to be kinder. So there's so many opportunities coming out of this once you do sort of get yourself through those initial phases of of healing from trauma, it's so, so important to begin to ask ourselves new questions, different kinds of questions like, how can I grow from this? What can I learn from this? What can I teach my daughter and how can I be the best possible example of healing forward for her? And that was really the catalyst for me to say, what can I do to heal in a really positive way and parent my child through trauma in a really positive way. That is where the shift came for me. And, you know, making sure that you're not asking yourself, why me for the rest of your life, really? Yeah. When I started doing this work, Michelle, it really was the result of a lot of loss and trauma in my life. And Mm. there were times when I really didn't think I wanted to move forward. And it really comes down to making a choice, in in my opinion, to say, I no longer want to stay where I am. I have to do something differently. And I have the ability to do something different. It's just taking those baby steps and moving, as you said, healing forward. And I love that, healing forward, because it's Mm -hmm. deciding I can't stay where I am. And, And really, I think the catalyst for me at first were my two boys uh, of getting stronger and healing for them. But as I began the process, I started to heal for me. And, you know, everything that you said, I I couldn't agree more. And you said it perfectly. I, it is a choice. And this is something that I, that I say often, this is how I, I live my life this way. And that is by coming to a complete understanding that it is my choice. And how long we stay in the, in a victim state is really a choice. Were we victimized? Yes. Were we harmed by this event in many ways? Yes. But how long we stay focused on what we lost instead of choosing to focus on what we could gain is 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 100% our choice. Exactly what you said. And that takes a lot of different forms and sometimes it takes a little longer for some and than it does for others. But I do believe that once you get to a place and you said, you know, it's not that you can't stay in that place. Sure. You can stay in that place if, if that's your choice. But the point is you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay in this place where you're just wallowing in the pain and the anger and the resentment and all of those other things that keep you stuck in a place where joy and and happiness and gratitude cannot coexist when you are in that place. And mm-hmm. I did not want that to, you know, be something that I lived the rest of my life without because for me, joy and gratitude and and happiness and really being the example of that for my daughter, no matter what we've survived coming out of my childhood or coming out of the kidnapping situation. For me, that is the example that I wanted to set. And, and how I was going to do that was going to be up to me. And for me, one of the biggest things I had to learn how to do was was to release the expectations of the way I thought my life would be, because I found myself saying quite often, this is not how it's supposed to be. You know, you could never have imagined the way it was supposed to be with with mass gunmen showing up at your door. And, and, you know, whether it be gunmen or someone dying or a divorce or a sick child, none of these things are the way we write our story. But it's making that decision, as as we both said, to write a new story. You know, you have to let go of how you envision things to play out. 
Well, and I think that brings a really good point is that my my identity was completely wrapped up in my in my career and in my title and I worked really hard for it and you know that's you're right that piece of it is a very difficult part to come to terms with letting go of and and not only letting go of okay this isn't how I envision my life but what is my new identity going to be who am I without this title or without this career and in my case without the mask of this career because I grew up in a very violent home. I ran away at 15. I didn't have a high school diploma and I didn't want anybody to know any of that. I thought if I was successful and, and worked my way up from being a part-time bank teller to being an assistant vice president, I worked very, very hard for that. But that was a huge part of my identity. And without that, who am I? I'm stripped completely naked and everybody's going to know about me and my past. And that was something that was a very difficult aspect of healing to come to terms with. And I think once we get to the place where we're, where we accept ourselves and we accept our past and we do the deep work that we need to do to forgive ourselves and forgive our own past and the people in our lives and, and choose to become who we envision ourselves becoming and being the best version of ourselves, that's when our past is, is and for lack of a better word, is no longer embarrassing. It's, it's no, we don't need to find a mask to hide who we've been in our past. We decide that we're going to be authentic and live, and live freely from those types of, you know, for lack of a better word, those types of, things that hold us hostage in so many other ways in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so I I agree with you that the identity piece of it is a big one. So you had to do all of this deep inner work to heal yourself. Whatever happened to the kidnappers and how do you feel about them? Have you forgiven them or are they still holding you hostage in a way? So absolutely. They're not holding us hostage in any way whatsoever. And it's been this incredible journey. And I, I would love for your listeners to read nine days because there's some, there's a really remarkable aspect of the story that I find very beautiful. And we wrote one of them a letter when we were ready to release all of the negative associated with the kidnapping and the situation. And we were ready to say, we're healing forward. And in order to do that, we're going to have to put all of this anger and resentment and, and, and unforgiveness. We need to put that down and we're going to walk away from this and walk into our new life without all of that. And in order to do that, we decided to write one of them a letter. And that letter is in the book. And it wasn't until the pandemic that I woke up to an email that said, we have a response to a letter that you wrote years ago from this person. And he responded during the pandemic. And it's absolutely remarkable what happened with him and in his heart and his his life and what our letter to him sparked within him for him to reach out to us and then we're getting ready to actually we'll be going to san quentin state prison we've been asked to come to sit and speak to one of our kidnappers and attackers and we did have another meeting with with one of the other ones the one who responded to us um and I, I would love people to to read about that in the book because for me it's one of the most beautiful aspects of the entire story and the redemption and the healing and the story of their healing to me is equally as important as our own how important do you think that forgiveness was to your healing because so many people get stuck with grudges and anger and they just can't move forward. And do you think by being able to forgive, not forget and not condone, but to forgive someone really leads to healing? It's essential. I don't believe one can fully exist without the other. You can, until you really, really forgive and you get to a place where the core of your thoughts 
and your heart are centered on compassion and, you know, love in a way and, and definitely forgiveness. I don't believe that that 100% deep, complete healing is possible without that. How is your daughter today? She was just a child back then. Is she experiencing PTSD? Has she been able to move past the trauma? We both were in therapy for just over two years for trauma therapy for PTSD. It was really, really horrific in the beginning and for a long time. And now we have little triggers here and there. We're aware of them. We know when they're, we know when they hit, we know what to do. We have things in place and thought processes and practices and in place. If we do hit a little bump in the road, we know exactly how to, you know, stop it before it starts to control us. There is really hope for people out there with PTSD to really learn some of the tools and, and things that you can control it instead of allowing it to control you. And we're really in that place where we don't have really hardly any of those triggers anymore. Um, but she's doing fantastically well. And, you know, she ended up when she was 18, she was diagnosed with a catastrophic onset of multiple sclerosis. So she's had, and we have had some other challenges since the kidnapping. And even through, it's interesting because when she was recovering from her MS and learning how to walk again and talk again and feed herself again and you know, we went through a lot with that, but she looked over at me and she said, Mom, the, the kidnapping was, a, you know, recovering from that was a piece of cake compared to this. And it prepared me for this. So it's interesting how you can look back when you're in a place of healing and say that traumatic, difficult situation and healing from that prepared me for something else that happened that, that we never could have foreseen. It is interesting because everything you experience in life always seems to lead you to the next place when, when you see that. And it is something very interesting. I, I noticed that with my work. It's like every career, every experience has come together for this moment of my life. So true. It's so true. So I'll give you an example of that. It's just for me and when you're, when you have this, when you have the mindset of, you know, kind of that awakened spirit, if you will, and you're paying attention to things like that, I didn't know that when I was in high school and I didn't, you know, I didn't want to go home because of what was happening at home. So I decided to sign up for an ROP class and I became a certified nurse assistant and I was a caregiver for years. For people and I did not and all of a sudden years later my daughter is in need of a caregiver and mm. everything that I learned back then exactly what you just said I sat back and was like oh my gosh mm -hmm. that's why I took that class back then it wasn't it was for this moment right now yeah. and those kinds of things happen over and over in our life and it's interesting when you're sort of paying attention how much of those dots connect when you're paying attention, you're going, okay, that's why this took place then because it was preparing me for this moment right now. It's like putting together a great puzzle. And, and like you said, when you're paying attention, you really can see it form and it creates this masterpiece. Yeah, really. It does. I agree with you. It's, it's, it's fascinating when you're, you know, when you're in that place and you really do sit back and you take that time to sort of be still and think about it and really want to and be interested in connecting those dots and coming to this greater place of understanding. For me, it's fascinating. The book is Nine Days, Living with My Soul Wide Open After Violent Trauma. Michelle, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? They can actually find me on my website. That is michelle-renee.com. There can find me on social media on Instagram. Just look up underscore Michelle Renee underscore. And they can find my book if they are part of Barnes & Noble and they like to shop there. The book is there. It's also on Amazon in hardcover, paperback, and Kindle. The same with um, Barnes & Noble. And then if you want to support independent bookstores, it's also available on bookshop.org. And that is 
you know, really supports the independent booksellers out there. And Michelle, in about 30 seconds or less, what is the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Something you and I both agree on based on this conversation, and that is no matter what you have survived, you really do have the choice to not stay stuck in anger and live the rest of your life in a place of of bitterness and, and resentment and anger. And you can choose to turn your life around, live with your soul wide open, be curious and really create a, an amazing, amazing life for yourself after whatever it is that you've survived. And I really want to encourage everyone out there who's listening to live with their soul wide open as well. Michelle, thank you so much for spending this time with us. You are such an inspiration to so many. Thank you for having me. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Hi, this is Joan Herman. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. Recently, I was flipping through a toy catalog, shopping for a gift for a friend's child, when I stumbled upon an item that had brought hours of enjoyment to my children. It's a square box that has different shapes cut out into each side with matching pieces. The goal of the toy is for children to fit each piece into its corresponding hole, thus learning to recognize shapes and how to fit like things together. My boys spent hours placing the various shapes into their respective holes. Most times, the pieces fit together with ease, but on occasion, they would work tirelessly trying to make the wrong piece fit into the wrong hole, an oval in a circle, a square in a triangle, a rectangle in a square. As I reminisced about them sitting on the floor working at this task, I began to think about how this activity mimics what we do throughout our life, work to make the pieces fit. Hi, this is Joan Herman, here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Sometimes our choices fit perfectly, but other times, no matter how much energy we expend, they just don't fit. How many times have you been in a friendship or romance that didn't work out? In most situations when the breakup occurred, anger, heartbreak, and disappointment soon followed, then blame. Someone must be at fault. Someone was wrong. You tried so hard, so why couldn't it survive? Instead of being consumed with anger and resentment, did you ever stop and think that maybe, just maybe, it was simply a wrong fit and that no one is to blame? Like the pieces in the toy, each of us has an individual design derived from life experiences. We are each as unique as a circle, square, triangle, or octagon. When we make the right match, everything fits perfectly. But when we have the wrong pieces, it doesn't work, no matter how hard we push or on what angle. It would be ridiculous to say something is wrong with the circle because it didn't fit in the square. We recognize the shapes as being different, so why do we make those claims about people? Why do we assign blame to a person and then spend the rest of our life being angry and resentful, thinking about what could have been? Perhaps a new perspective would be to view each of us as the pieces of the toy, unique with our own characteristics, perfect in our design, but not always a fit, no matter how hard we try to squeeze it together and how much we want it. 
Perhaps looking at life experiences in this way may make it easier to let go and stop assigning blame. It may enable us to forgive and move forward. So the next time you experience the loss of a valued relationship, rather than being consumed with anger and bitterness, just release it. Try to view yourself and the other person as shapes, different from each other, but with their own purpose, beauty, and value. Perfect in their individuality, but they just don't fit. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more information and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. From the studios of AM 970, The Answer, on Broadway and Wall Street in Manhattan, this is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. We all experience pain and we accept it as being human. Pain is such a big player in our lives that we search for ways to relieve it, which often brings more pain. According to today's guest, Guy Finley, we don't need to crumble under our pain. He says that we can learn how to use it in the right way in order to find new power and inner freedom. Guy is the best selling author of The Secret of Letting Go and 40 other works. He's been a guest on national media and is the founder and director of the Life of Learning Foundation. Welcome, Guy. Thanks for joining us. It is such a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you, Joan. You know, I always enjoy our time together. Well, Guy, I, I like this topic because pain is something that we all experience and no one can escape it. But much of the time, we think that it's just a normal part of life and we accept it. And it seems like this pain is getting deeper and deeper. If you look at statistics, suicide is up and people feel lost and they're anxious and they're depressed. So what is it that you believe is happening that's making us feel this way? Well, first and foremost, I would say, honestly, that what we do is we resist the pain Mm -hmm. that comes with this life because a part of us, and much to answer your question, believes that who and what we are is uh, somehow meant to walk through this life without any suffering at all, and that if we do have any pain, it's because we've missed the mark or otherwise failed to become what whatever it is that we imagined we were supposed to do or to be. And that idea drives us, the idea of becoming something uh, special, recognized, known, loved, whatever it may be, creates a, a kind of back pressure inside of us that we have no awareness of whatsoever uh, because all we know to do is to serve the idea that says we're supposed to be like this and then the pain of not hitting the mark, if you will, uh, validates the pain. So we're caught in a loop where we're convinced on one hand uh, of what we are meant to do, the purpose of our life, and can't reconcile that there's a relationship between this pain that won't go away that we resist and the fact that we have misunderstood the purpose of our life. So that's the main thrust of what I'm talking about. So, Guy, when you're going through these difficult times, you know negativity, those thoughts, they prevail. And then those thoughts create emotions and experience, which therefore perpetuate the thoughts. And that's the cycle. So what advice do you offer to help someone become conscious of those thoughts and make a switch? You know, this is a big, a big question, Joan. Let me tell, I know we have precious few moments, so I'll run through this story very quickly. Imagine a man who goes to a third world, fourth world country. To He's an anthropologist. He wants to study open air markets and the interaction of the native people. And so he finds himself uh, on the way to one of these open air markets when over the hill comes something that astonishes him. It's, it's a man uh, and a cart and a donkey, but the donkey has saddled the man and the man is pulling the cart that's full of sugarcane, chickens, and whatever produce is going to market. The anthropologist can't believe his eyes. Uh, how could a donkey saddle a man? So he, knowing the language, he goes and he comes to the man. He says, sir, I, I don't understand. What tradition is this? The donkey's riding you and that you're pulling the cart. And the man looks at him, smiles sheepishly and says, well, that's the only way I could get the donkey to go to the market. The point here is that we have become saddled with the false belief that somehow or other living and allowing negative states to tell us who we are and what we have to do by using this 
whip of pain to produce the results it wants, we, we become a compromised race of beings. We are never meant to be subordinate to our own thoughts and feelings, let alone negative states that define and confine us. Everything, Joan, is upside down. So when you ask, what can we do? It begins with helping to be reminded of the fact that we are not meant to be saddled with useless pain, unworthy, undignified, corruptive, negative thoughts and feelings. Once we understand that, if we can feel the truth of it, then when something tries to mount us and drive us to market, so to speak, we can uh, recognize, experience the presence of that familiar pain in its pattern and understand, all right, look, you are not my boss. I, you don't ride me. In fact, you don't belong in my life, let alone uh, saddling me. So, Guy, once we recognize that pain, then how do we turn it into power? That's the beauty of what we're talking about, Joan. Do I need power if I can wake up and recognize where I'm agreeing to be made powerless? I'm going to re I'll say it again. If, if my problem is unawareness of the fact that roles have been reversed, I have become the subject of my own thoughts and feelings, and that in that subjugation, I am made to suffer in the pursuit of their ends and goals. Do I need to do anything other than become aware of how I have agreed to be made powerless? Isn't the search for power in our lives the attempt to overcome what presently overcomes us. And if we see that what we're overcome by is a mistaken relationship with our own thoughts and feelings, then the moment that awareness grows, so does the powerlessness disappear. So once we see pain for what it is, we're released. Yes, it, it is not our authority. Look, when you have a toothache, God forbid, how many of us know that when we have a toothache, we're not exactly uh, running a four-minute mile to get to the dentist. Agreed? Mm-hmm. Maybe not for you. For me <laughs> and most people I know, right. the minute you have some unknown pain or one that promises to produce more, the last thing you want to do is deal with it. Right. Now, when we don't deal with our consciousness of that awareness of pain, does the pain get better or worse? Well, it goes physically. deeper. That's exactly right. It is rooting itself deeper. Now we're talking physically right now. And it and what is the power by which it is rooting itself deeper into our life, bringing more pain eventually right. than what we've avoided? Right. And the answer is something in us resists the awareness of that pain or problem. Now, take that idea and move it over to psychological or emotional pain. When we have a pain, a sense of disappointment, of being betrayed, of feeling empty, that feeling of pain is in fact a kind of messenger. It is initially a revelation in our own psyche that's trying to reach us and tell us something is wrong. We're missing the mark. Now, where we go wrong is that when we feel like we're missing the mark and begin to suffer that pain, we listen to the pain tell us what to do to heal us. An example, I'm, I'm struggling because I'm working already 18 hours a day, 90 days a week. I thought it would make me free if I could get financially secure. I got some security, but I still don't feel wealthy enough. So my pain of being completely cut off from life tells me, well, guy, the way to be, feel better and get rid of this pain is to do more of what didn't heal you the first time. So we have to learn to be able to see and to listen to the part of us that's trying to tell us, all right, something is out of alignment here, and then have the courage to recognize that the pain that we're experiencing cannot bring an end to itself. We must discover the source of that disconnect, and that lives in our own consciousness. Guy, thank you so much for being here with us today. We allow pain to infiltrate every area of our life. And by listening to what you're saying and, and allowing some of your strategies into our life, we can move through it and, and really be able to feel more gratitude and, and blessings and joy. So thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome. And let us all agree to learn how to use this pain 
instead of letting it use us. We'll be right back. Did you know that there are three ego states, parent, child, and adult? The parent contains the attitudes, feelings, and behavior incorporated from our parents, guardians, or caretakers. This ego state embodies all the rules, values, and social norms we were taught or conditioned to use during our early years. We depend on this self to keep us within socially acceptable norms. When this ego state gives you advice no longer appropriate for your current age, maturity, and circumstances, it can adversely restrict your creativity, imagination, and development. The adult logically calculates information and makes decisions accordingly. Its vocabulary includes probing questions like who, what, when, where, and why. Our adult fosters our ability to think and act based on what's happening in the current moment. Adult is rational and objective. This ego state deals with facts and makes decisions. It enhances our ability to ask questions, reason, and assess situations accurately. The child is composed of our feelings and emotions. It embodies natural feelings such as joy, sadness, love, and anger. It also encompasses adapted feelings such as inadequacy, shyness, fear of rejection, and desire to please others. Your early conditioning determined which ego state or self currently dominates your personality. All three ego states play an important role in your development as a total person. When we seek personal and professional development, we can create goals to find the balance we need to succeed. To further this discussion, call me, Bertha Robinson, 732-705-5060, or visit StarOneProfessional.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Hi, this is Joan Herman. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Joining us for this week's To Your Health is Erica Higdon, Clinical Manager of Behavioral Health Services at Bergen Newbridge Medical Center. Erica joins us today to talk about suicide prevention. Welcome, Erica. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Erica, September is Suicide Awareness Month. What are the biggest risk factors for suicide attempts? Suicide is usually predicated by um, depression and feelings of hopelessness lack of purpose, um, especially as we become into the holidays, um, you know, with families and everything like that, we tend to see a lot of increase in depressive symptoms, isolation, loneliness, things like that. Who is most likely to commit suicide? So the biggest risk groups um, that we see are people who are, might be older, um, maybe um, people who are divorced or who are widowed. And right now, um, the younger populations, adolescents, are um, are particularly affected by suicide. So you just mentioned some groups such as people that are older or divorced or widowed. And when you go through a divorce or you, or you lose a loved one, there's a whole grief process that's involved with that. When does someone know that it might be something a little bit more serious than just regular grief? So some of the um, warning signs that we can look for um, are talking about feeling empty or hopeless, having no or having no reason to live anymore, um, feeling unbearable, um, emotional or physical pain, um, you know, withdrawing from others, talking about being a burden to others, not wanting to um, to really, you know, put themselves upon their, their loved ones uh, or close family friendships, um, talking about or thinking about death. Um, or, you know, even saying, I, you know, not wanting to live anymore, wanting to die. And I think sometimes for some people that are in so much pain, it's not that they really want to die. It's just that they don't know how to continue living. Why do you think, Erica, one person can get through a trauma, 
relatively unscathed, where another person who experiences the same trauma has a more difficult time with it. What do you think the differentiating factor is? I think access to support, having people around them who are able to recognize that they're going through a hard time and be available for them. You know, not necessarily that they can fix whatever the the, the trigger is, but saying, you know, I'm here for you, I, you know, or if I'm not here for you, here are some resources for you. Um, having access to, to professional help um, can be a huge, huge impact. Um, but really just having that connection with people so that they can know that they're not alone. There, there's somebody there for them to turn to when they're feeling like this. You mentioned before that teen suicides are on the rise. What should parents be looking out for, especially now that their kids are back in school? I think, um, as I said, um, really with isolation, you know, withdrawal from their family, withdrawal from things that they enjoy, that they like, um, you know, talking about, you know, wanting to die, thinking about death, feeling hopeless, feeling like they have no future. Um, you know, especially we see this with middle and high school kids who are trying to plan for their future and they have a lot of stress on them about where to go, what to do, um, and talking about, you know, that hopelessness um, of not knowing what their future will hold for them. Sometimes people, Erica, when they're going through a difficult time, they wear a pretty good mask. You know, they, they show one face to the world and they're suffering in silence. So how can we determine if someone we love is in pain? I think talking to them, um, you know, like you said, some people are, are going to hold it in much more um, effectively than others. But making sure to check in with the people that you love and care about, especially if you know they're going through some sort of stress saying, hey, like, let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's talk about how things are going. Um, making yourself, um, you know, available to the people that you care about. And we should be doing this all the time anyway, right? Um, so trying to find time out of our schedule to check in with those that we care about, um, to continue to foster those connections, which are, we know are, are so helpful um, in preventing thoughts of death and, and, and suicide. So if a person feels like they're in this deep hole and they just can't get their way out of it, what is the first step that you recommend be taken? Um, I recommend, uh, you know, if you are that person, reaching out for help. There are so many resources available and, you know, we there could always be more resources, but there are plenty of things available. Um, we have the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is now an easy-to-remember number. It's 988. Um, most, if not all, emergency rooms have resources for people who are going through a psychiatric emergency who are in emotional distress, um, people that they can talk to, like social workers, psychiatrists, um, counselors. Um, there are so many resources here in Bergen County. Um, the Psychiatric Emergency Screening Hotline, 262-HELP. Um, you know, if you or someone you know is going through a lot and needs access to resources, calling them to have someone to talk to, to work through some of these feelings and find the most appropriate avenue for um, getting help. It's a fantastic resource that we have here. And I think the important thing to leave our listeners with is that if you find yourself in trouble and you ask for help, it's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of tremendous strength. Absolutely. It takes a lot of courage to be able to admit that you're not doing okay and that you need help. And if our listeners would like to learn more about Erica and Newbridge, you can visit newbridgehealth.org. Erica, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me to talk about this really important topic. We'll be right back. What is food freedom? Some people think it's being free to eat whatever you want, and that's true as far as it goes. But let's look at the flip side. Food freedom is also being free not to eat certain foods. Let me explain. Most of my life, I was not free to pass by an offering of cookies, donuts, or potato chips without partaking. And once I had one, I'd always have another. While I felt free to eat those things, I was absolutely not free to not eat them. 
Food freedom is about being truly intentional with your food choices. I'm certified health and wellness coach Julie Sloan, and I help people find food freedom and transform their relationship with food and health through a 90-day challenge where I focus on mindset, food psychology, and nutrition to help you understand what's really going on with your cravings and emotional eating. Do you want food freedom? Visit me at wellandgrounded.com. That's wellandgrounded.com. Did you know that Reiki can help lessen stress, depression, and anxiety? And are you aware that Reiki is now being used in hospitals as a complement to medicine? And it's because of its relaxing effects that Reiki has helped many overcome their health concerns. It was founded by a Buddhist monk named Mikao Yusui of Japan in the early 1920s, and his goal was to help heal broken people. Reiki comes from a universal life force energy which radiates pure love, and this energy is then transferred through the Reiki practitioner's hands to the client. Reiki is considered a form of energy medicine which addresses the entire energy body called the chakras, which correlates to every system within our bodies from our pineal gland all the way down to our adrenals and spinal cord. So why not consider the many benefits of Reiki and how it can help impact the health of your body, mind, and spirit? Hi, this is Roxanne D'Angelo, a certified angelic crystal Reiki and magnified healing master teacher. For more information, you could reach me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, tips to be a successful sought-after radio and podcast guest, I provide information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash media training. for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital articles, check out our team and book club, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 